also had some difficult times uh, with the economy, and we had to do pump priming. Mm. Uh, if you go back further, in the 1998-99, or in the six years, actually the Fiscal Reserve actually, uh, over the, the years, we have seen the worst work actually we have seen is the Fiscal Reserve standing at around 13 months of government expenditure. So uh, we are now actually drawing down, and we are pretty close, and that's why we will have to be mindful that uh, uh, some of these measures uh, will have to be uh, done in a measured manner. Finally, let, let me ask you about HSBC and Standard Chartered. They've cancelled their previously announced dividends under pressure from the UK Financial Conduct Authority. I'm wondering, were you surprised by this? Did, did, the, uh, did the FCA contact you before they took this action? And do you support uh, those retail investors who are a third of HSBC's shareholders in their particular case who are taking action to force an EGM and try and reverse this decision? Prudential Regulation Authority under the Bank of England. The PRA, uh, of course, I cannot disclose uh, whether there were prior consultations uh, or anything, uh, but we have to be mindful that uh, the PRA, Prudential Regulation Authority, is the regulators for the, Euro- for the UK banks. And uh, this particular announcement that they made actually is one that was actually shared among the, uh, I mean, it's a common policy stance among the European banks in the EU as well. So it's how the regulators were actually encouraging the banks uh, to preserve capital and so forth. So this is something um, the the banks would have to uh, consider um, uh, having re- due regard to the uh, to the request from the regulator. And do you support those shareholders who are trying to force an EGM to, re- to reverse this decision? Well, I can, I mean, indiv- as a person, I can understand the uh, uh, why the shareholders are, are so worried about the, the this cancellation of dividends. Um, and uh, I've heard that uh, some of them are preparing um, perhaps a possibility to convene an EGM or something. So it's for the individuals to decide how to pursue this uh, with a bank. Mr Lau, thank you very much indeed for coming on this morning. Always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Hong Kong's Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, James Lau. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Very, very quickly in the markets, US stock index futures are slipping now. They're down about 0.9%, dragging Asian markets with them. The ASX 200 off 2%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 1.7%. Looks like the Hang Seng's going to open about 1.5% lower later on this morning. Back chat's coming up very shortly with Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton. Let me give you an update on the weather. Fine, dry and rather warm. Maximum temperature of about 27 degrees uh, and rather warm during the day in the next few days. 22 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. It's 8.33. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. President Trump says the U.S. has passed the peak of new coronavirus infections. He made the announcement at his daily White House briefing. The battle continues, but the data suggests that nationwide we have passed the peak on new cases. Hopefully that will continue and we will continue to make great progress. These encouraging developments have put us in a very strong position to finalize guidelines for states on reopening the country. Mr. Trump said he would announce guidelines for easing the lockdown in a news conference tonight. The president has been at loggerheads with state governors about the timing of easing restrictions and reopening businesses. 
The head of the World Health Organization says he regrets President Trump's decision to halt U.S. funding. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said the WHO was still assessing how President Trump's decision was likely to affect its ability to work, and he signaled an unwillingness to be bullied. WHO is reviewing the impact of our work of any withdrawal of U.S. funding and will work with our partners to fill any financial gaps we face and to ensure our work continues uninterrupted. Our commitment to public health, science, and to serving all the people of the world without fear or favor remains absolute. The mandate for the Israeli opposition leader and parliamentary speaker Benny Gantz to form a government has expired. He'd been trying to agree a national unity government with the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, but no announcement has been made since the deadline passed at midnight local time. And partial results show South Korea's left-leaning ruling party won a landslide victory in yesterday's general election. Even before individual constituencies were decided, President Moon Jae-in's Democratic Party took an absolute majority of 163 seats in the 300-member National Assembly. Its sister party was expected to win another 17 proportional representation seats. Turnout was over 66%, higher than any parliamentary elections held in the South since 1992. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Karen Coe. Karen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Hugh. And we're talking today about the World Health Organization. President Trump has announced that he's freezing all U.S. funding to the WHO, roughly uh, $500 million U.S. million a year. Over the way, it handled the COVID-19 situation, saying it had put political correctness over life-saving measures, covering up the spread of the coronavirus, including by making the disastrous decision to oppose travel restrictions on China. What do you make of Trump's move and the performance of the WHO? Is this a self-serving political gesture at a time of global emergency that will threaten the world and American interests? Or a dose of realism for an agency that sold its soul to China? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message uh, here or you can uh, email us uh, backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266 as well as our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Later, we're talking about security concerns with a video conferencing tool, Zoom. Joining us for our first discussion, uh, we have with us now Mark Simon, a Next Media columnist, Dr. Sarah Borwan, a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and Dr. Judith Mackay, an honorary professor in the Hong Kong University School of Public Health and is also a senior policy advisor to the World Health Organization. Uh, a few emails. We've, got, we've had quite a few emails, some of them are quite lengthy uh, on this topic. Let's just, I'll have to do kind of a little edit uh, on some of them just before we start our, our discussion. Martin says, um, with the subject line, the US uh, defunding WHO and blaming China, the media constantly promotes and repeats US claims that China has covered up and lied about the COVID-19 outbreak. Now the WHO has become part of the scapegoating game and is being defunded by Trump as he wants to deflect from his own mishandling of the crisis, which has cost tens of thousands of American lives and ruined the economy. The cover-up story is largely a false narrative that was initially propagated by various news outlets like 
like the New York Times and the Guardian. Peter says the decision of the US president to defund the WHO is disastrous. The world needs the WHO and the UN. The WHO is working to turn the tide on COVID-19, especially for coordinating efforts for poorer countries. It was irresponsible for Trump to ignore advice given to him from many different sources, which could have seen a fast US response and save thousands of American lives. Now he is looking for someone else to blame. And Derek says, Dear Back Chats, uh, today's topic can't possibly be true. No world leader would cut funding to the World Health Organization in the middle of a pandemic. This must be fake news. The next thing mainstream media will say is that Trump is delaying issuing stimulus checks so that his name can be printed on them. Simply ridiculous. That comes uh, from uh, Derek. Uh, there are more comments on our Facebook page. Maybe we'll get to those later. Uh, maybe, uh, Judith Mackay, if we could start with you. Good morning. Thanks for, yes, good for, morning. for, for joining us once again. What do, what do you make of this move? Uh, and what do you make of the performance of the WHO so far in this crisis? Well, I think firstly I would echo what some of your correspondents have already said, that now, right in the middle, in the height of this crisis in many countries, is hardly the time to be announcing measures like this. I mean, we actually need all hands on deck at the moment for a virus that knows no boundaries. So it makes very little sense. And the problem is it will not only affect WHO's ability to deal with COVID, but it will affect its ability to deal with all the other problems it deals with. I mean, it's working on a budget that is the same as a sort of medium-sized hospital in the U.S., and it has to serve nearly 200 countries on every topic of health. I mean, it's working on a shoestring to start with, and to have this threat right in the middle of one of the biggest crises we've had this century just seems absolutely nonsensical. And I think that the condemnation from around the world, particularly from the low- and middle-income countries, who will be really hard hit by this, you know, the African Union, even the European Union, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, I mean, everybody has been unanimous, actually, in condemning the timing of this and actually the reality of doing it as well. Dr. Mackay, on the other hand, though, how effective has the WHO been in the course of this crisis? I mean, it, it may be fair to say that, you know, they they responded slowly. They didn't really uh, put warnings out uh, proactively. It was, it was more reactive. And a lot of countries, you know, say, for example, Taiwan, took matters into their own hands and managed to, um, you know, prevent it from escalating. Maybe, maybe they didn't perform as well as they should have. I think, you know, as uh, Kenny Rogers says in The Gambler, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. I think there will be reviews after this, and I think there will be timely and necessary, not just of WHO, but of every country. I mean, show me a country where there has been no criticism of the way the government has handled this epidemic. I mean, every country is feeling its way. I mean, here in Hong Kong, we're having this very difficult balance between trying to keep the economy open and at the same time protecting public health. And it's not easy. We're in very uncharted waters, and it's really very difficult. But to come back to your point of speed and the WHO responding, I'll just give you five dates. On the 31st of December, China reported the cases in Wuhan. On the 1st of January, which was a public holiday, the following day, WHO had set up an incident management support team among all the three levels of government, headquarters, regional and country level, and put the organization on an emergency footing for dealing with the outbreak. That was within 
24 hours of being notified by China. It reported on the social media. It published its first disease outbreak. Within a week, it issued a comprehensive package of technical guidance on advice as to how to deal with it. And unbelievably, on the 12th of January, which is within two weeks of being alerted about the epidemic, China shared the genetic sequencing of COVID-19. I mean, this is unparalleled in any kind of comparable epidemic in terms of its speed and comprehensiveness. So to say WHO, we're not talking about China here, we're talking about WHO, to say that WHO was somehow tardy, it's just simply not consistent with the facts. Let's talk facts, because I'm... Yeah, Mark Simon, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the doctors, basically, either she's disingenuous or she's lying. A small, medium hospital in America has a budget of nearly $4 billion U.S. dollars. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. This is basically an expert defending the experts. WHO failed. They failed, completely failed. I've talked to people in the CDC. I've talked to people in the administration. I talked to Democrats. Nobody is happy with the response of the WHO. Okay? The basically WHO has existed for the last fourteen or fifteen years with a China backed candidate in the in the driver's seat, placing in people who are politically compliant. I'm tired of hearing about how dedicated they are. I don't care. Okay? They failed. They failed miserably. And you can sit all day long and say they did this this date, they did this that date. All we know is the head of the WHO was running around carrying China's water, talking to people, telling people China had it under control, everything was there. As far as the gene sequencing piece that China shared, that is a lie. That's an outright lie that they shared that. They sent over the information they wanted to send over. The WHO said, you gave us the gene sequencing piece. Go back and talk to the administration, talk to the Brits, talk to the French, talk to anybody else. It was incomplete. That's like sending over a puzzle and leaving out 25 pieces of it and say, you figure it out. This is ridiculous. But here's the main problem with the WHO. It's completely irrelevant. Okay? We've reached a point where these old, giant institutions really should be more, nothing more than clearing houses for information. It's the world's fault that we're relying on a bunch of second-tier bureaucrats, okay, who basically can't even hold the top jobs in their own countries. And we rely on them to basically make decisions for the world. The world is completely private industry, uh, international hospitals, um, organizations. Everybody is completely bypassing the WHO. My argument with the WHO Besides people, for some reason, now trying to cover them out of some, you know, fealty to the expert class is ridiculous. They're an outdated organization. They don't need to be there. And frankly, if the United States doesn't want to give a voluntary contribution, if it's so important, it's really only $500 million. You know, basically, where does China give? Oh, I know. Look at the WHO site. China gives one-twelfth of what the U.S. did. Well, why doesn't China just fund it right now? Why don't you go to the UK and fund it? Uh, okay, okay, I'm going to give Dr. McKay a chance to respond, but just, Mark Simon, what about just the point that whatever you think of the WHO, now is not the time to take this kind of action? No, it's fine to take this action now because they're behind the curve. If, if what are they doing now? They're not doing anything. They're, they're not doing anything. They're basically sitting there arguing, protecting themselves all day long. 
they're a player in the, they are in the game and they've been injured. They're not effective anymore. They just need to step back. Okay, Dr. McKay? Well, I think you only have to listen to the comments from low- and middle-income countries where WHO has offices in-country and supports them to realize that they're, they're trusted government advisors. They're not activists. They're not advocates. They are part of a government system, and they have incredible credibility. They are the only international health organization that has had offices in countries since the 1940s, and these are trusted and relied upon by government. And in the era of the most incredible fake news about this epidemic, they're a very, very trusted source. And I think the outpouring of support, I mean, the one good thing in the sense this has done is to give this outpouring of support for WHO from really countries around the world that would negate exactly what you said about their being irrelevant. As I said, they're not speedy Gonzales. That's not the way WHO functions. And do remember, WHO is but a secretariat of its member states. But, but you, just told us, you just told us what a great job they did, and so now you're telling us they're not working fast. What is it? Can you pick which one it is? You have to have some kind of balance between speed and reliability and um, confirmation of data and reliability. And that's another difficult juggling job that WHO has. As I said, it's not, it's not an activist group. It's a respected stable, authentic, reliable member. And just talking about fake news, they have a fake news site. And this is an opportunity for people to see, well, does such a drug help? I mean, does taking, you know, sort of uh, the equivalent of snake oil um, or doing certain things, does it really help? I mean, there was an announcement just yesterday that non-Muslims would not get COVID. It would only be the infidels who did. I mean, the world is awash with all sorts of fake news about this. And WHO does stand as a reliable, authentic source of real data. And they have to consider the data. They have to consider their member states. I mean, it's an organization where WHO, in a sense, is the secretariat. And its member states are the actual WHO. They make the decisions. They make the policy decisions at WHO. For example, about Taiwan. This is not WHO making that decision. These are the member states that actually have the power to actually direct the actual organization. All right. Also, also with us is Dr. Sarah Borain, a Canadian physician who's, who trained at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Dr. Borain, good morning to you again. Good morning. Uh, what, what do you make of this? What do you make of Trump's decision? Okay, well, I think this is all a distraction because we have a common enemy right now. We're in a war, and the war isn't between the WHO and the U.S. or China and the U.S. or anyone else. We're in a war with a horrible, contagious, lethal virus, and it's not a zero-sum game. We all win this or we all lose. It's not going to be over anywhere until it's over everywhere. The WHO... You know, it sends experts into poor and vulnerable countries to help them be able to manage this epidemic, which we need them to do. The time for dissecting, you don't have clarity of view right now over who did what and when and how much delayed it was. It's not clear right now. That comes later. And later, it's not a matter even of laying blame, but of deciding how we move forward and how we make sure this doesn't happen again. But it's not that time right now. Right now, it's the time to figure out how we fight this virus. 
Um, I was just going to go back to Dr. Mackay. Um, I mean, the, the thing is with the WHO, uh, is it, as you said, it's a membership organization. So should the US decide we don't want to be a member anymore, as Donald Trump has decided with other multilateral organizations, what's the big deal? You know, you don't get their money. But the second biggest funder of the WHO is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So there is still plenty, plenty of private and foundation money out there that could fill the gap. Well, I think that uh, Trump is not a multilateralist. He's definitely not, no. Uh, um, and I think, you know, this might, may be the source of all the problems. And WHO, uh, the uh, United States, rather, does not like any kind of supranational jurisdiction. For example, they haven't even signed and ratified the rights of the child. The UN treaties. Um, ranging from climate change to um, WHO. The WHO has only one similar convention, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. It's only one. And the United States has not ratified that, even though 180 countries have done so. It doesn't like that kind of supranational jurisdiction over it. So I think it has, um, and Trump administration in particular, I think has got a, a sort of natural antagonism towards any kind of international body. I mean, you name NATO, all the others. So this is not exactly... So why are we the largest funder that? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Why, how is it we have this antagonism told everybody, yet we're writing the biggest check? Please tell me how that correlates. Well, the, the amount of checks that have been written are traditionally based on um, the size of the country and also their economy. So certainly from the 1940s onwards, it was the Western um, higher-income countries. So in other words, America, we live by... In other words, we live by... And countries that were really, really poor, like in Africa, their contribution was indeed much less. That has traditionally been how WHO okay, so worked, almost words, a sort of Robin Hood, a sort of almost a Robin Hood approach to trying to fund an organization so that benefits do flow from the richer countries to the poorer okay, countries. Okay, so all right, let, let, me, let me ask you that. How does, then how does that, every point you just made, all these very political points, it's obviously... You know, you don't like Donald Trump, but we're all thrilled for that. But but how does that point out that basically the Trump administration has continued funding this thing, the, tri triple what the, the, the required funding is, by the way, with voluntary funding, all right? In other words, the point doesn't make sense. The point, it just doesn't make sense. In other words, the actions of the U.S. with what you're claiming, we don't like this, we don't like this, yet we're still writing a check. What matters is we've been writing the check. Now, here's my point. If we don't want to write the check anymore and we don't want to put it in there anymore, then all you other guys who love everything so much and want to do and want to pay everything so much, well, China is the second largest economy in the world. They can make it up. The Rotary Club is, is the Rotary Club actually gives more money than Canada, Australia, Norway, China, or France. Okay? Now, maybe the Rotary Club can have another bake sale or something like that. I don't know. But my point is this. I think it's kind of ridiculous to say to an international organization, hey, you know what, we're right in the middle of this war here right now, and by the way, the generals who are up there and the, who are running it are basically screwing up, so you know, let's not replace them, let's just stay with the generals we have. That's not the way it works. You don't get to say, this is a war, we're in a time of intensity, everything's there, and then we look up, and most of the world thinks this group is incompetent. I mean, they're not winning any popularity contests, as far as I can tell in the international press. And so then 
We're not allowed to change them out. We're not allowed to make a change in the middle of the battlefield. I don't understand this logic. Okay. I understand. Oh, sorry, go ahead. All right, Dr. Borwine, uh, w- w- what about the claim that um, the WHO, and in particular its, its, its current head, uh, is biased towards China, is, is, uh, treats China uh, with, you know, uh, in a particularly favourable way and is China-backed and, and so on, and, and people claim, you know, there's a history of this. Uh, do you think, and of course the, the attitude to Taiwan is part of that, um, do you agree with that? Do you think there is uh, evidence of that? You know, I don't. I actually think there probably is some, but I don't think it's the most relevant thing right now. I think, you know, China, whatever it did at the beginning, the delay, the manipulation of data, and to be fair, many countries have manipulated their data if only by not testing enough. But those countries that reacted quickly in January, like Hong Kong and Singapore and Taiwan and most South Asian countries, they've actually contained this. So whatever China did or didn't do, if you took notice then, if you listened actually to what the WHO was saying in January, and you had a pandemic plan in place that you could quickly implement, then you might not be in the same place now. So, you know, I, but I don't think it's the time to lay blame, not blame of Donald Trump, not blame of WHO. That doesn't help us right now. It just doesn't help. Okay, we've um, okay. We uh, we got a, a few uh, emails on the topic on, on both sides. Uh, Anorak says, "Good morning. Trump is acting in his typical manner. The blame is on anyone and everyone, anything and everything except himself. The decision by his administration to cease funding is the latest." Uh, and. Um, Let's see. Craig says, clearly the WHO is the FIFA of the medical world and requires a massive overhaul with a charter change which would permit Taiwan to join. That comes from uh, Craig, uh, not from RTHK. Uh, Drake says, I have been damning the Gabrasis-led WHO since January when he said there's no sign that the virus could be spread from human to human. Again, when he said masks were not useful. Again, when he said there's no pandemic. Imagine an observatory that reports weather after the fact but never gives forewarnings nor forecasts. Who needs that? Who cares? And one says it's not surprising that the United States has now decided to cut funding for the WHO. In fact, this shows that pro- Trump probably feels he can seize or lay claim to money from any country or organization in an imperial manner, just like the good old days when colonial masters uh, ruled. Uh, if this continues, a country that was once capable of freeing slaves and leading the world in developing international institutions will risk becoming a shadow of itself. That comes from uh, one. Mike says those who are in favor of one world order are the same that are in favour of the WHO. And we've got a caller on the line, Matthew. Matthew, good morning. Uh, morning, Hugh. I mean, I, I'm not a big Trump fan necessarily, but you know, I agree with Mark Simon on, on this and, and probably with Trump. I, I, I mean, I'd like to ask Dr Mackay. I mean, I think we're, we're in a war against the virus, but the problem... Uh, that most of us see is that the WHO is not fighting the virus there. They seem to be just protecting China. Can someone explain to me why when China was being celebrated by the WHO for closing its internal borders and locking down Wuhan, at the same time, the WHO was criticising countries like America and Australia for, for closing their borders to people coming out of China. This just makes no sense. And at the same time, the WHO was also giving us advice not to wear masks. And I think, you know, most people now, including the WHO, but except for Mike Rouse, say that that is important. So how how can you say they're playing an effective role and 
what's the point of having them in the fight when they're okay. giving advice like that? Dr McKay? I think we have to remember that we are um, on a perpetual journey of discovery with this virus. And this issue of wearing masks is actually a very good example of that. I mean, well, I, for example... Let's take, the, let's, take the one, let's take the Wuhan lockdown. At the time when Wuhan was locking down their borders and the WHO was celebrating them and the decisiveness of Chairman Z. America did effectively the same thing, and Australia as well, and got told that that was wrong by, by Tedros. So explain that to me. Uh, I was just trying to explain it, if you could give me a chance, that basically we're on, um, not shifting sounds, but we're on a journey of discovery about the best thing to do about this. This is unprecedented. And, for example, we are learning as we go. A, a lot of the criticisms of governments talk about U-turns, but that's not really true. Governments are changing and amending, and WHO is doing the same as the information comes in about the virus. And I think, as uh, Dr. Sarah said earlier, there are uh, hundreds of things we do not know about this virus. We don't know how long it's been in circulation. We don't know where it's going. We don't know how it works. We don't know how many people in the community have it. We're fighting an incredibly difficult battle, and now is not the time to be raking up incidents like this that may have been handled well or may not have been. But we've got a reality today that we have to be united in moving forward and doing the best thing country by country and helping countries, which is what WHO is doing, particularly in low- and middle-income countries. The time for reckoning will come, and there'll certainly be quite a lot of post-mortems as to should we have shut this border earlier, should we have shut down the hairdressers and so on. All of these issues, you know, what do we do about old people's homes? May, may um, how should we be testing? There's, a, there's still many, many, many things that we do not know about this epidemic. So to sort of abandon ship in the middle of it, just simply say it really makes no sense at all. Because WHO is that anchor, that focus in the world, particularly, as I keep on saying, for the lower middle income countries, who turn to WHO for help, for advice, for support, even strengthening the healthcare systems to deal with this. I'm not talking about the rich countries. They've got problems enough. But particularly the lower middle income countries, they really need the help. And May I respond? Some, you know, oh, I'm afraid we're out of time uh, for this <laughs> section of the programme. We will continue after uh, nine o'clock and uh, Judith McKay will, will, will stay with us as well. I think we'll, we'll say goodbye, uh, unfortunately, to, to uh, Mark Simon and uh, Dr. Borwine. Uh, and we're also going to be joined by a uh, senior advisor from the Thai Ministry of Public Health. Uh, the weather is going to be fine, dry, rather warm during the day. The readings now 22 Celsius and the relative humidity is at 77% back in three minutes' time. It's in a measured way. We can reopen schools only gradually and very slowly after the 4th of May. It has to be in reduced groups. There has to be a concept for school buses. There needs to be a concept for breaks. It will be a great logistical effort and it needs very careful preparation. You're listening to the news on RTHK. 
Welcome back. Bank Chats on a Thursday morning with Karen Coe and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the World Health Organization and the decision by the uh, American President Donald Trump to uh, stop funding support for the World Health Organization. We're talking about the rights and wrongs of that and the performance of the World Health Organization over the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, we were talking in the first part of the program to um, Mark Simon, an ex-media uh, columnist, and Dr. Sarah Borwine. Uh, still with us is uh, Judith Mackay, who's a senior policy Policy advisor to the World Health Organization, honorary professor in the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health. And we're also joined now by Dr. Suet Wibble Prasset, a senior advisor in the Thai Ministry of Public Health. Uh, later, also, we're going to be talking about uh, Zoom and the uh, safety concerns and security concerns of the, uh, of the uh, that uh, app. Uh, some comment, okay, uh, relating to the issue of the WHO and our discussion in the first part of the program today on Facebook. Facebook, Nig, and I'm going to have to edit these for length because there's a lot of comments. Nig says, more background info to ponder. Dr. T uh, is from Ethiopia and its capital, Addis Ababa, was literally built by Beijing. And guess what's the estimated percentage of loans by predominantly Chinese banks to fund the expansion? Just under 70%. TC says, although I'm not a diehard Trump supporter like our fellow listener Mike, I agree with President Trump's decision to halt his country's funding to the WHO as a way to force leadership in that organisation. I think that other countries that listen to the WHO's advice and are now suffering an outbreak to do the same. Given the relationship that's been built up, perhaps uh, the WODEG uh, should ask China President Xi Jinping to make up the financial uh, shortfall. Uh, and... Uh, Nig says, for Dr. Judith Mackay, after it became clear that there was a full-blown epidemic spreading from Wuhan to the rest of Hubei, why did China cut off travel from Hubei to the rest of the world on January the 23rd, but not from Hubei to the rest of the world? So within Hubei are humans and not uh, outside if of Hubei. Uh, sorry, I mangled that. Um, Gerhardt says, I wonder what resources, what sources Backchat got on the US dollar 500 million contribution for the US is from. They did pay 511 million in 2017, which was part of a 10 billion dollar amount paid in total to the UN. The WHO is part of the UN. The US hasn't paid what the US owes. And there's a longer email which you can read perhaps at your leisure there. I've wrote, sorry, a larger comment on our Facebook page. Okay, Drake says, oh God, the. Uh, Guess who's defending the WHO over fake news? Was it not fake news when it said there's no sign that the virus could be spread from human to human? Was it not fake news when WHO said masks are not useful? Was it not fake news when it said there's no threat of pandemic and countries should not block travellers in view of keeping the economy going? This is WTO posing as WHO. Face it up, WHO is spreading fake news. Rick says, why is the WHO demanding a Sweden lockdown? Because they show the lockdown makes no difference. Richard II says, Mark Simon's ultra-libertarian worldview reflects largely the reason why we're in this situation. It's the refusal of government to follow WHO advice on distancing, ignored by the USA for six weeks and for several weeks in the UK. The reason there are so many infections in the USA is because they did not follow advice, period. No matter how much Simon rants, like his hero Trump, the US is part of planet Earth. America is now exceptional and is not going to leave any time soon. Maybe he should follow his president's religious expert his daughter and her husband, who, uh, who I'm sure are going to do a far better job in health planning for America. You have good health advisors, but like a horse to water, you can leave it there 
leave it there but not make it drink that comes from richard um john says let's take a little good dose of smelling salts and recover from our swoon De trump desperately wants one thing and one thing only to deflect uh, attention from the incompetence and corruption of his clown car government and the hundreds of thousands of americans who will die prematurely because of his awful decisions the who is serving his purposes very well it's a perfect foil with no domestic constituency but read the light fine print funding is suspended for three months a period of struggle and international negotiations will ensue during which trump will continue to denounce it and in the end all u.s funding will not be withdrawn that's uh, john's take mo says who has become a political organization only listening to china no one trusts them anymore time to disband and defund the who they delayed the virus from china and now people are dying that's from uh, mo mike says one of the first questions i ask when i write checks what have you done for me lately the who has been incompetent for years and is run and favors communists uh drake says journey of discovery at the expense of millions of lives this is i think referring to a comment made by uh, dr mckay in the first part of the program thank you for your attempt to cover it up it sounded miserable uh peter who sent a longer email earlier says it's a pity hugh that my message has been censored again especially when americans like mark simon is on the show defending u.s exceptionalism why don't you ask mark simon to give his assessment how well trump handled the pandemic in the uh u.s and paul says the who as an advisory body is a complete waste of space attached is a who recommendation for face masks you can see how they've flip-flopped on their position which was initially claiming that masks are unnecessary to now advise the rational use of them i see no problem with demoting them to a medical charity but as a medical authority it's plain they're just riding the waves of public opinion rather than providing any kind of leadership and there's an attachment there that's from paul thank you very much okay well a lot of opinions on this topic from our from our listeners um i'd like to bring dr seward into the conversation uh, from the thai ministry of public health good morning to you dr seward are you there dr seward Yes. Can you hear me? Okay, yes, we can hear you. Great, thank you. So what is your take on this? First of all, how the WHO has handled the whole COVID-19 situation? So far, so good. They're doing okay. And why do you say that? Why not? What have they done wrong? Well, there's I haven't been... seen anything that they have done wrong. There's been many, many complaints about them, uh, first of all, not saying that this was human-to-human -human transmission early on, when it clearly is, of them flip-flopping on their advice about wearing face masks, of them just taking China's word for um, transmission and uh, cases. See, WHO is a technical agency. Whatever it recommend to member states, it has to do based on evidence. Unless there is clear evidence, the WHO cannot advise member states just because the belief of someone. All you said, all you mentioned, all the issues that you mentioned, if there is evidence, enough evidence, the WHO will definitely advise member states on that. So then are you saying that WHO is really only a responsive organization as opposed to proactive? They're not going to take action on things that they don't 
they're not that are not reported to them. They're not reported evidence. Anyone can report anything, but is there any evidence? You can believe. Like in Thailand, we believe that there is a human-to-human transmission uh, since, you know, 12 of January when we detect the first case, a Chinese lady who has never been to that market in Wuhan. So we, we think that this is a human-to-human transmission, but we are not sure. And then we have our second case in Thailand, a taxi driver who has never been to, to China. And we think that it's a face-to-face, it's a human-to-human transmission. But we are not the BSO. We, we report, and the BSO has to take all the information, all the evidences, before they can announce anything. So do you think that local and national uh, governments can't just rely and wait for the WHO to come up with some kind of... Uh, response or some kind of warning. I mean, you have to be, you have to be on the ground, and you have to be doing what you need to do to protect your own citizens. You have, you should listen to the BSO advice definitely, and make your own decision. The, the, the World because Health. The BSO is the world. They advise the world. Each country has specific context. They must make decision based on their own specific context. Uh, they did, the World Health Organization did in, in early February say that there was no need for measures that inter- unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. Uh, this is when people were uh, introducing uh, travel bans uh, against China and they were opposed by the WHO. Uh, and you yourself commented on that, I think, at, at the time. Have you changed your mind on that? No, until now. Has there been any proof that travel restriction helps? You look at the few countries that have widespread uh, of infection uh, since February. All these countries have strong travel restriction since January. But what happened to them? Uh, so you think there's no need for travel restrictions? There's no need for... So having travel restrictions against China made no difference? Is, your, what you, is that what you're saying? It's not only travel restriction against any country, but it's travel restriction to everyone. You see, the most important thing is to understand this virus. If you don't understand it, you can say anything. This virus is quite contagious. And public health measures must be the most important thing to do with little social and economic impact. What is public health measures? To actively detect the case early, isolate them, and trace the contact and quarantine them. In, at least in my country, we started since January 3rd, when the WHO informed us that there is such an event in China. January 3rd, we started that. We put thermal scan on to the uh, gate that uh, flight from Wuhan will come in. We direct all the flight from Wuhan into one single gate. And, and we 
foot thermal scan, and we detect the case very early. But Dr. Seward, and we were able to buy two months' time. Dr. Seward, did you do that because the WHO uh, gave you that information? Was that the reason why, or was that your own health uh, ministry dis- making that decision? Both. Because first, the WHO informed the world that there is such an uh, event. Second, our system, our active case surveillance, outbreak investigation, and uh, uh, control system has been built 40 years ago. Quite strong. They are very alert. So both. I mean, when you look at the WHO's track record on previous um, pandemics, it, it has not been good. During H1N1, they overblew the situation. That was 2009. During Ebola 2014, they totally underestimated the situation. I mean, maybe the WHO is not the organization that everyone should be following in this kind of emergency situation. Maybe, you know, do, do we have unrealistic expectations of what they can actually do? As I said, the WHO is the WHO. It's a technical, world technical agency. Decision must be made by each country to take action in their own country. But the most important thing is countries have to work together. At least the WHO can do now, which they are doing, is to coordinate global global solidarity project to prove what effective drugs are available. And soon they should do something like global solidarity project to prove the vaccine that are available and make the drug and vaccine available to the whole world. Uh, okay, so, 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 yeah, go on, Dr. Mackay, yeah. Um, I mean, one example, just following up on what, doc, uh, what Dr. Sewitch has said, is that WHO is doing, and of course this is not in the public eye, but they are coordinating all the clinical research in the world. There are 59 now <clears throat> laboratories looking at the best way to treat patients. They're looking at vaccines. And WHO is actually coordinating. It has a center to coordinate all of these various studies that are going on and sharing the information between them. Now, there's no other global body who could really fulfill that role. And it's a really important role to actually discover the best way to deal with this epidemic. There's many things that WHO does, um, uh, you know, that, that are not in the public eye, but are behind the scenes, but nevertheless really important. And as I keep mentioning that, you know, WHO is as good as its member state who vote, who um, support WHO, and who, um, uh, you know, take the advice of WHO. And as Dr. Sewitt says, every country has done things slightly differently. And it will only be with hindsight that we see, was it a good idea to close the schools at such and such a state? We don't know. But I think the overlying message is we've got WHO. It's an incredibly important and only international body to, to really help and coordinate with this epidemic. And, uh, you know, to try and sort of cut it off at the knees in the middle of all of this is just 
to my way of thinking, unthinkable. All right, a comment from uh, G. This is referring to Dr. Suet, I think. G says, uh, current speaker is making the point exactly that the organisation is not capable of giving advice on precautionary basis. Evidence on so-called Spanish flu, is it now known beyond dispute how it originated? This man demonstrates that to wait for irrefutable evidence is madness. As we did have a wave of imported cases, a travel ban is necessary. That doesn't mean it's the only measure to take. That comes uh, from G. We've got a call on the line now, Jim, I think. Jim, good morning. Hi, good morning, everybody. Go um, a couple of points. Basically, if you remember a couple of months ago, uh, the President of the United States was impeached. He was impeached because uh, money was allocated by their uh, system of government. The Republicans and the Democrats voted on it, and uh, the money was supposed to be paid to Ukraine, and the President decided he was not going to pay that, so he got impeached. So now you have a situation where the Democrats and Republicans have allocated set funds uh, for the 2019 to 2021 period. They've agreed on the sums and uh, signed off on it. And Trump is doing exactly the same thing again, or he's trying to, which he's not allowed to do, uh, for which he was impeached before. Okay. All right. Thanks for your thanks for your thought, uh, Jim. Uh, once again, our number is two three three eight eight two six six. If if you do want to uh, uh, contribute, uh, and um, S says it's shocking to hear from Judith Mackay, a doctor, to support the WHA to say this is a learning curve. The trend of the spread was very obvious, and as Dr. Mackay rightly pointed out, that the WHO team had already gone to China to study the latest spread. Aren't these people supposed to be professionals and experienced in such things? How come the average Hong Kong person had more sense to respond to COVID-19, to wear masks, and the local medical personnel insisting on the closing of borders than WHO? That comes uh, from S. Dr. Mackay? on the learning curve, whether we like to think so or not. And just take the example of the AIDS epidemic. I mean, everybody thought it started in the 70s, it was transferred from Africa to San Francisco. Now we find that if you go back to the 1950s, there's evidence of AIDS being present. In fact, there's even a suspicion that it goes back as far as 1920s. We learn about these epidemics as we go along, and there's no, it's the only way we can learn is from the experience of the epidemics. So I think anybody who really even dares to say where this epidemic started, how it spread, we're finding all these asymptomatic pe uh, people in many, many countries who don't even know they've had it, who are testing positive. We do not know the epidemiology. I think, uh, OK, the point, the point that S was making there was that people in Hong Kong were actually quite sceptical about some of the advice given by the WHO. They were more uh, worried about the... Um, it, it seems they were more concerned about, frankly, the outbreak... Uh, than were the WHO, and Taiwan was in a similar situation as well. And it's fact it's our scepticism which has led to such low numbers here. We were concerned about shutting the borders. We were concerned about wearing masks and environmental hygiene and so on, more than the WHO, and that's been to our benefit. I think that's true. I think Hong Kong has done astonishingly well to keep its cases at about a total of a thousand. That's not deaths, that's just the total number of cases. And I think, you know, we are doing things right. I think that you said the population, through the experience of living through SARS... But that's despite the WHO, not because of the WHO. No, I think it's 
in addition to what the WHO was, was talking about at the, at the time. And I think that both the people and indeed the government here has actually got something right. We must have something right that we're doing regarding this epidemic to have kept our numbers to the astonishingly low levels that they have been, even considering we had the border with China. And of course, mistakes are made. Mistakes have been made by every single government in this world. And I'm sure some may have been made by WHO. And that, as I said, is when the day of reckoning comes. But coming back to the original premise is should funding be stopped at this moment and, in a sense, demasculinization WHO, I, I just don't think it's the right time. I think it's a very wrong decision. And I think most countries in the world uh, are, are unanimous in really saying this is not the time to do this. That time will come to look at how we may be prepared better because this epidemic has been quite the worst that most people have ever experienced, and we still do not know. The epidemiology is just not there yet, and that's why we're having to feel our way and having to do things incrementally. I don't agree with this term, flip-flops, at all. I think that as we get more data, we understand it better. We now know there's asymptomatic carriers. At the beginning of January, we did not know that. I mean, knowledge is accumulating and adding to and influencing the policy developments of what we do. I don't regard it as a flip-flop. I regard it as a you know, natural and sensible development of steps that have to be taken as the epidemic goes on. Okay, just a few more comments uh, from listeners to uh, to finish off. Again, contrasting views. Umesh says, I don't see what all this madness about WHO is happening now. Everyone knows they're an advisory body. The Thai Minister was spot on. Every country takes its advice and decide on their actions themselves. Can I say something? Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, I fully agree with cutting down the budget of WHO now. It's the most timely. I'm, I may be different particularly the donation from big countries, I think it's time to cut. It's the best time to cut. Why, why do you say that, Dr. Because, Seward? Because it will reduce the influence of this big country onto the WHO. The WHO budget, 80% from donation, 20% are contribution from every country. So now every country owns the WHO, pay for the WHO staff maintain its premise, everything, but just for them to work for the big country, because 80% of the money that they are working on come from donation. And these donations are all earmarked. It means that the big country gives money to the WHO and instructs the WHO to work based on their own interest. But we are the ones pay to maintain the WHO. When you say so big countries, when you, okay, when you say big countries, does that mean the US and China? No, China is not big. China mm. is only less than, you know, 70, 80 million dollars. Other countries are big, not only US. So, Dr. Seward, if, if, for example, the US cuts funding, they say they'll cut for, say, 60 to 90 days. Um, and as I mentioned before, the second biggest funder is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So do you think there is other money out there that can step in to fill a void if the US chooses not to contribute? The key issue is whether there is a need, need to have money in from donor. The strength of the WHO is not money. The strength of the WHO it, it, it is its ownership by member states. And 
not only membership, because of the membership ownership of the uh, member state, it creates a name, a social, strong, high social capital that allows the WHO to have access to the best world expertise everywhere. Any expert who are invited by the WHO, they want to join the WHO because of the name. These are the most important things, social, intellectual capital, not money. If the WHO depends on money, it will have to work for donors, based on donors' interest. What, what's your opinion of uh, whether or not China has excessive influence in the WHO? Every country tries to impose their influence on the WHO, not only China or the US, even Thailand. We do. But do you think in this particular crisis that China is getting its um, view heard more than other countries? Well, because it has uh, the first-hand experience, the first country that has the experience. So its experience is important for other countries to learn if you want to learn. If you don't want to learn, if you shut your eye, your ear up, then you face the situation of not learning. Okay, some more comments sir, from listeners to, to finish off the program today. Drake says this new guest, uh, that's Dr. Suet, is the exact reason why we should forget about the WHO. They're merely reporters who give reports after the fact. They have no capacity to give forewarnings or forecast. He's still defending their slow response uh, today. John Kowloon says Thailand's handling of COVID-19 has been flawed and haphazard. When I was in Phuket in late February, I was shocked how complacently the locals behaved towards the risk of the virus. No one was wearing masks as they clearly saw no imminent threat. The Thai government kept flip-flopping on its policies towards visa and quarantine rules. Uh, uh, Drake also says if there's a chance that what others were doing could be right on hindsight, why on earth is the WHO telling people not stop or discourage countries that were taking more stringent measures? Uh, and uh, S says, as a reminder to Dr. Mackay, the government kept on insisting the WHO does not advise closing borders and was reluctant to do so. Uh, Jay says, I think Hong Kong has proved that my wearing masks has been very effective. What the WHO and UK and Trump have been conspiring by not wearing masks, I don't know, but this certainly increased uh, infection. And Richard II says, in saying WHO didn't do a good job in the past, for example, on swine flu, it's all very well to criticise any group for not having 2020 foresight, but let's look at this comparatively. How well has WHO done in predicting and advising the range of health crises? Imperfectly. It needs to use evidence to make recommendations, and much of the time it does a good job. And remember, it does not just deal with epidemics, but maternal and child health, non-communicable diseases, mental health and nutrition. In comparison, how well have economists done in predicting the 2008 financial crisis? If economists had done half as well as the WHO in managing the economy, they would be anointed angels. In comparison, economists are miserably poor at predicting how economists behave. So to criticise the WHO because it didn't know in January what it knew in March reflects very poor understanding of how knowledge uh, is acquired. That comes, uh, say, from uh, Richard II. And Mike says, Judith Mackay did a great job of filibustering without answering the question right before the break. Mike also says that the virus started uh, last October. Well, we're out of time, but thank you very much indeed to our guests this morning, to uh, 
Dr. Suet, uh, who's a senior advisor from the Thai Ministry of uh, Public Health, to uh, Judith Mackay, honorary professor in the uh, University of Hong Kong School of Public Health and a senior policy advisor to the World Health Organization. Thank you very much indeed. Many thanks to uh, Karen, uh, co-host today, and Thank to uh, producer uh, Noreen Mir. Thank you very much indeed. Sorry we weren't able to get to the uh, issue of Zoom. We'll uh, uh, deal with that, we hope, uh, in uh, tomorrow's programme. Uh, that uh, kicks off as ever at uh, 8.30. Many thanks to the many, many uh, emailers and comment on the uh, comments on the uh, Facebook page. I suggest that you do uh, look at some of the uh, longer messages uh, on Facebook uh, yourself because uh, I have mangled some of them uh, in the telling. I apologise 